Hello, and welcome to the Proskauer Benefits Brief. I'm Tali Skolnick, an attorney in Proskauer's Employee Benefits and Executive Compensation Group. On today's episode, I'm joined by Paul Hamburger, co-chair of our group. In this 10-part podcast series, we are exploring the basic COBRA rules applicable to group health plans. In this podcast, we will discuss some of the key COBRA considerations for some of the non-traditional health plan-related programs, like EAPs and health wellness programs, FSAs, and HRAs. Paul, to get us started, what are the overarching themes in applying COBRA to these non-traditional arrangements? That's a fair question, because this seems like it's a collection of seemingly unrelated plan issues. But the truth is, that when it comes to the more traditional broad-based group health plans, employers and plan administrators readily understand that they have COBRA obligations. But when it comes to these non-traditional arrangements, it's not at all clear how COBRA applies, if it applies at all. That's why it's important to really understand each of these arrangements and how they play out from a COBRA perspective. So let's start with employee assistance plans, also known as EAPs, and other health wellness programs. What are some of the challenges in applying COBRA to these arrangements, and does COBRA even apply here? You know, there's a common misconception out there that COBRA never applies to EAPs or other health and wellness programs. That's not always true. By way of background, one of the key regulatory concerns in dealing with COBRA is in defining a group health plan for COBRA purposes. For example, many employers might maintain or subsidize exercise or fitness facilities or programs. These arrangements support general good health, but they're not really providing health care to employees. So there's an exception that says those types of arrangements just are not group health plans. There's also an exception from COBRA coverage for certain on-site first aid facilities. Even though a first aid facility involves the delivery of health care to employees, the regulations carve out an exception for COBRA from these types of things on the theory that they really aren't what the statute was trying to get at in terms of letting people continue to have coverage available after certain qualifying events. When it comes to EAPs and other wellness programs, the first question is whether they involve the delivery of health care to employees of the employer. We generally look for providing medical care, advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Many EAPs simply provide a referral service to medical professionals. They don't involve providing actual medical care advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Instead, they will find out what the issue is and refer the participant to someone else who will actually deliver the health care or treatment. Similarly, many wellness programs may involve programs to challenge employees to get in shape or encourage employees to get regular checkups or engage in certain other activities. Those arrangements might not even be health plans altogether. On the other hand, some EAPs provide counseling sessions for employees related to medical issues, such as psychiatric or drug abuse counseling. Even if the number of sessions is limited, the program might still qualify as a group health plan. In fact, there's a common misunderstanding that if an EAP only provides a limited number of counseling sessions, COBRA doesn't apply. That is not true. COBRA applies even if the sessions are limited, as long as the services delivered otherwise constitute a group health plan. 
What about healthcare flexible spending accounts, also known as FSAs? What are the special COBRA rules applicable to these types of programs? The first thing to remember is that healthcare FSAs are group health plans. The typical FSA involves employees reducing their salary on a pre-tax basis in order to set aside amounts to pay for certain approved medical expenses. It always seemed odd to apply COBRA to FSAs because FSAs typically only involved employee money. So why would an employee contribute to an FSA under COBRA if all that the person would get back is a return of his or her own money? It seemed like a lot of regulatory work and compliance for very little benefit. To respond to these concerns, the IRS developed a couple of important COBRA exceptions for health FSAs. If the FSA is what is called HIPAA accepted, then two exceptions to regular COBRA coverage could apply. The first is what I call a plan design exception. This is the exception that most plans seem to use. Under this rule, COBRA only runs until the end of the plan year in which a qualifying event occurs. It doesn't apply for the full 18, 29, or 36 months. Rather, it only lasts until the end of the plan year in which the event occurs. This is pretty simple to implement. As long as COBRA notices, plan documents, SPDs are all updated for this rule. Basically, the administrator simply sends out a COBRA notice, and if someone elects COBRA coverage, they have to pay 102% of the cost, and they can get coverage under the FSA for the rest of the year. The second exception is what I call a personal exception. The way this rule works is the plan doesn't have to offer COBRA coverage at all to the qualified beneficiary if the claims for the rest of the year are less than or equal to what the person has to pay. For example, assume somebody elected a $1,200 annual FSA amount, had already been reimbursed for $1,000 by March of a year, and then the person quits. In that case, COBRA coverage for the rest of the year, the next nine months, would cost $100 a month or $900. However, the person would only be eligible for another $200 of a benefit. In that case, COBRA coverage would not have to be offered at all. Now, there are a number of challenges in administering that rule, particularly for large employers with diverse workforces, and that's why plans often find it easier just to make COBRA coverage offered under the FSA for the rest of the year, and then you let the qualified beneficiaries decide what they want to do. So you mentioned at the outset that these FSA rules apply to HIPAA-accepted FSAs. What are HIPAA-accepted FSAs? HIPAA-accepted means that the employer also provides another group health plan that's not otherwise exempt from HIPAA and ERISA rules, and that the maximum reimbursement under that health FSA is not greater than two times the salary reduction election, or if greater, the salary reduction election plus $500. So this is why most salary reduction only health FSAs meet the definition of being HIPAA accepted. The reimbursements available typically don't exceed the amount of the salary reduction election. All right. Let's move on to health reimbursement arrangements, also known as HRAs. How does COBRA apply to HRAs? HRAs are much less common than they used to be because of restrictions on their creation that were imposed under health care reform, known as the Affordable Care Act. Nevertheless, they still come up from time to time, especially in the context of retiree medical coverage. Now, when they're adopted, it's important to bear in mind that COBRA rules do apply. And if a qualifying event occurs, COBRA notices and an offer of COBRA coverage must be made for the full 18, 29, 36-month COBRA 
coverage, period. Probably the biggest challenge in applying COBRA rules to HRAs is in calculating the applicable COBRA premium. This can be very complicated and employers really need to consider their options carefully. Do you have any closing thoughts on this topic before we end? The one takeaway from this topic is that in looking at overall group health plan compliance, employers cannot overlook some of these non-traditional group health arrangements. There are a number of rules available to help limit the impact of COBRA coverage on these arrangements. Therefore, careful, thoughtful planning should be taken into account to ensure compliance with all of these applicable rules. Thank you, Paul, for the helpful summary of how COBRA applies to some typical non-traditional group health plans. Clearly, there's a lot to think about here. And thank you to those who joined us today for this Employee Benefits Podcast. And a special note that next episode will be the final episode of this 10-part series. Please join us for future presentations in our Proskauer Benefits Brief Podcast Series and keep an eye out for more employee benefits and executive compensation insights on our Proskauer ERISA Practice Center blog. Also, be sure to follow us on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify.